Welcome to Talk, a podcast dedicated to creatives breaking into the industry, presented by Brain Freeze. I'm your host, Dana Bulos. On episode four, we speak with Olivia Zam, editor-in-chief of the iconic Purple Magazine. I hope you enjoyed the talk. Hi, Olivier. How are you? Well, Dana, I'm very good. I'm so happy to be in L.A., even though I could be in Paris because we are on Zoom. It could be anywhere at this point, right? We have a virtual life. It's so strange. It's good and bad at the same time. It's like great to see loved ones. And then it feels really bad because like meetings could be like at 10 p.m. through Zoom or (laughs) and you're like, wow, is there any privacy to that? But it's interesting. You win and you lose. What can you do? I've been used to for the last uh, 30 years now of purple i realized um, purple uh, anniversary would will will be in 2022 so in one year oh my god wow tell me about how you first started and for an editor you know i've been used to build my community around the magazine through parties dinners physical meeting uh, working with people going to artist opening, creating a, a team for fashion shoot. This is all human interaction. When it starts to be virtual or online, basically it's, uh, it's very different because I always need the physical and real interaction with people. I don't start to shoot with a photographer if I never meet physically and speak directly to the photographer. I don't want to speak about an artist if I've never been into his, his or her studio. Because what you see online is not necessarily the reality. Also, it's not necessarily stimulating or interesting. And sometimes it's totally made up. For sure, I, especially with like social media. It's, it's very interesting how people have different personas. And, you know, creating a magazine or working for a magazine is based on trust. You need to love the people and trust them. From the initial idea to the end of mm-hmm. picture or the, to the final picture, there's a lot of problem all the time. <laughs> you need always to dialogue, interact, find alternative solution. And if you don't do it with someone you love and someone you trust, then the final picture won't fit with the magazine. I agree with you on that. It's all about, it's almost like having a ship, right? Like a big ship. And it's a whole team to make the final product and to be able to sail. Not one person can do that. Same thing with the editing. If you don't like the people who edit your magazine, edit the text. If you don't interact physically with them in front of the, the article, in front of the text, on paper. If everything is through the computer, there's a lot of information that won't actually be shared or understood. To me, we are losing a lot by not working physically with people. Of course, it's very convenient. It's easier in a way because people don't have to come to the office. You don't have to see them. But I used to travel a lot. I used to meet the photographer everywhere on the planet, you know. And now 
I see them on Instagram. Juggling with today's like digital age and now with COVID and everything, when you're working with the team, are you're definitely working with the core of like the purple family, but also if you're finding a new photographer, finding a new artist, how are you meeting them? Like, are you doing Zooms? Are you like still kind of having social distant meetings no. kind of in a way to get the vibe or just not even going into that? I want to see them. And if it's not me, it's a person who works for me. It's a fashion editor, for example, in, in New York. I work with Masha, Masha Orlov. She, she works with me since 25 years. As a fashion editor, she recommends like two, three photographers, and then she goes and meets them, or she knows yes. them. So it's not me, it's a person that I trust. You know, physically meet the photographer or meet uh, the artist. It's a... It's a, once again, it's a question of trust. It's a family. And it's, a, it's very difficult. It's very strange because I'm surprised that if you don't know the people, the result won't be good. In a way, it's magical or it's totally irrational. For example, I did a, a portrait of uh, Lisa Yuskevich, mm -hmm. the, the painter. Um, and she was really keen on working with this photographer from Vanity Fair and W. And she said, it's a friend. I like her photography. I want this photographer. I look at the picture. I said, it's not really the kind of photographer for purple. Uh, she insisted for this photographer, but I had no choice. I said, okay, can I speak with the photographer? So I speak with the photographer on the phone. I explain the kind of photography we have of in purple, nothing more simple. You go in the studio, you shoot the person, and each time you see something that you like, you shoot. Exactly. It's kind of like having that taste level of just knowing when to get that shot. Bring me back your experience of visiting Lisa, shooting her, and discovering her studio. And everything was clear, but the pictures are not good. The result is not good. And the picture, you see that Lisa, she's not comfortable. The studio is too clean. Lisa dress up for the shoot. The, the, everything is perfect. This is, a, this is a corporate photograph. Agreed. Yeah, there's no ambiguity and no beautiful like rawness or just happy mistakes that happen in a photograph. Agreed. Yep. It's not a portrait, it's not a moment, it's a setup photo, which certainly worked for other people, not for my magazines. When, when that was happening, when you got the final results and you clearly saw it didn't really work with the core of, of like the essence of purple, what did you, how did you handle that? Like, did you have to reshoot? Did you have to be like, this isn't good, we're not using this? Did you use it? I always wonder about these situations because it happens in every artist's life. And as a creative, it happens nonstop. We both know. <laughs> but I just wonder how people kind of take, like, how do you problem solve? What did you do in this situation? I ask for more choice first. And then I generally try to find a picture that is acceptable. But it's not easy. I rarely reshoot because it's not respectful for the photographer. This is just now the difficulty of working online or working without meeting the people. Yeah. I've got a magazine just because I've been able to travel and meet photographers, meet artists, meet writers, meet galleries, meet uh, mm -hmm. architects. 
when you meet them, it's you understand very quickly who they are, what they want, and if there's something interesting for myself. I still travel and I still work the same way. And I, of course, mix it with um, digital media because like everyone, I discover so many artists online, it's incredible. So then the studio visit will become a, a very old school. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Which I still do if I can do it, if I take the time. I, I have two studio visits in LA that I want to do. I'm still trying to take and find the time to do that. It's what I like. I enjoy meeting someone. How do you start with thinking of a new theme for the magazine? That is something I've always been so obsessed with, with Purple, as like since I was a child. When I was younger, I was taking photo classes. I had the best photography teacher who taught me and showed me so many different photographers' work. He was he named like a few magazines and I still to this day is like you should look at purple and I looked at it I was like wow this is amazing I remember I bought like my first one so I it's just so intriguing when it comes to the themes and to think about the whole entire issue how do you think of the theme for each issue and everything that comes along with it a, a theme is a is a direction and it's it has to be poetic it has to be something that you want to explore in a very open way. So, for example, I remember when we did a film in the 90s, it was called Violet Violence, just because it sounds beautiful, and it was a way to approach the violence in art in a symbolic way. It's not that we promote violence, but there's something violent. If an artwork is not in a way violent, if it doesn't touch you, hurt you, uh, stop you, uh, uh, question you who cares it's like home decoration it's art is not necessarily comfortable so there's a part of violence in art and we call that part violent violence and that was a very open way to explore the what's uh, still provocative or punk or violent in art at the time we did a multiple personality disorder issue just because we were big fans of uh, Cindy Sherman. And Cindy Sherman, at the time, she still does that, but at the time she was like changing her identity, playing with multiple identities as a woman. And we just started from Cindy. And from her work, we extended to the whole issue. So she was the main inspiration. We did an interview with her, and from there we explored this possibility of being multiple, being people, being not fixed into an identity, transitioning from an identity to another, having two, three different identities in yourself, and you have to deal with this different person that compose your identity. We are not one. We are trying to be one. We are trying to, to gather all these people inside us so that they... They accept each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's just being a human. There's so many emotions and so many parts of just growing up and you become different people, but you have to mush it into one when you're an adult, which is interesting. It never really worked. You have the children inside you. You have maybe even the fetus, fetus right. inside yeah. you. Already an old person inside you, you have a suicidal person inside you, you have a dirty, crazy person inside you, you have so many kind of people inside you. So that was 
that was the idea. How can we explore the multiplicity and the variety of identity that compose who we are? So, and this is this is always very open, you know. And this is just a direction. For example, the next issue will be Purple Mexico. I told you it's um, because suddenly on this planet right now, Mexico and Spanish language and Spanish culture in general and this part of the globe is quite open. There's no travel restriction and it's incredible life energy there. Why don't we work from there and experience this culture, this context, this city, this country, and more than that, fascinating culture which is the Mexican culture, which opened to the Spanish uh, and South American world. So this is just a possibility. The film for the magazine is a possibility for the magazine, but it's also a possibility of life for myself and for the people who do the magazine. We need, or we, we do a magazine, but the magazine is, is just the result of six months of common work. And we just give a direction. Okay, we are there and we want to go there. So the direction is can be a psychological direction, multiple personality disorder, but it could be a physical and, and a cultural direction. Uh, when we did, uh, we just finished the Purple Island issue and the direction is more abstract. It's, it's utopia. The idea of island is the idea of, a, of a, what could be a possible alternative to to what's going on today. What what? How can we start from zero, basically? So this is very ambitious. It's a crazy ambitious issue. I don't think I've even touched the subject. I try to. You will see. <laughs> I love it. No, I I'm I can't wait to see that issue so much, especially since I relate so much to the water. And it was something that made me feel at ease <laughs> during this whole lockdown. I would like run away to the beach a lot. And especially when they closed down the beaches and it was illegal to go, I would look up beaches that were open and go with friends. And I just, it was incredible. I can't believe that. It's like the number one thing to make people feel calm. And it's beautiful. How can you close a beach? That's absurd. It's extremely absurd. I know. I know. It's ridiculous. But yeah, we that was happening a few months ago. I still can't believe it. And with, with the name Purple, I've always wanted to ask you, how did that come apart? Like, how did you come up with the name? Why Purple? very simple. I wanted a color because I did the first magazine called Blue. And then I said, okay, after Blue, let's find another color. And um, a friend of mine, an American artist, actually uh, Richard Prince, he said uh, he was, uh, I was very close to him at the time and we were in the Hamptons. And he said, like, use purple prose because he was upset with pulp fiction and old books. And also he knew this expression, purple prose, uh, who was a very old expression for uh, books, but also press related to celebrity, scandal, sex, information. But no one knew about this. I didn't know. He said, use purple prose. It's a kind of press, scandalous press, and it's a bit sexual. It's all about uh, sexual scandal. It's a bit like yellow journalism. Mm-hmm. 
So it gave, it gave me that name. It worked well with also Deep Purple, the band, but also Purple Rain from uh, Prince. Mm-hmm. Purple is not so, especially in France, people didn't know the color, I mean, the, the word purple, and no one knew about purple prose. So we call it at the beginning purple prose. And then we use purple as the first word for because we, for many little magazines with purple fiction about literature, we did a little supplement called Purple Sex. So we had Purple Sex, Purple Fiction, and then we did Purple Fashion. And Purple Prose was the main magazine. But we had this little magazine on the side because Ellen wanted to do Purple Fiction, me, I wanted to do Purple Sex, and then I did Purple Fashion. But um, after a while, we, we had too many purple. You know, <laughs> it was it was too confusing for the people around us. They didn't know what what's purple. So, is it a literature? Is it about fashion? Is it about art? Is it uh, what is this magazine? It was like unclear. But we liked at the time in the mid nineties. We liked the undercover, undefined position, so that no one really understood. The, could put a definition on, on it. After a while, we realized, and I pushed that because I was doing the magazine with my girlfriend at the time, Ellen, and Ellen, she loved this ambiguity or complexity. Or we desperately wanted to be on the ground. You see what I mean? Or not clear. Yeah. Um, that was because we had no uh, financial possibility. So, the best is to say, okay, we are fanzine, we are a very small magazine, we are part of an underground culture, and we embrace, embrace that. There's a beauty in this kind of publication. And that was the end, the 90s were the, were the end of the, of the fanzine world, you know. When you used to go into bookstore, alternative bookstore, or record music store, as soon as you enter, a big shelf full of fanzine, full of like this kind of weird publication. That, and it was just beautiful. We wanted to be part of this, or we wanted to express something of this free attitude and free, free publication. Mm-hmm. Advertising, no money, uh, and, no, and very little people doing the magazine and very little people reading the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same people. <laughs> so this was this was an initial uh, uh, position, embracing this fanzine and underground culture, but being conscious that we were embracing it as an attitude, not as a reality, because I was an, an art critic and I was already traveling. I was already part of this, this art world. So I was not part of the real underground. And Ellen was a rich young girl um, having an amazing uh, art, contemporary art collection, the father at the gallery. You know, she was a privileged girl. Mm-hmm. So we were both privileged. We were already part of the art world. So our underground attitude was a bit fake. We embraced the aesthetic and the attitude of that. Um, it's exactly like Martin Margiela when he created his label. He didn't want it to appear. He was not visible. His label was just a white sticker. And he was underground, but he wanted to be uh, Yves Saint Laurent. You know, he wanted to be at the top because he, he admired Jean-Paul Gaultier and Yves Saint Laurent. 
and we were in the same attitude. We had the same attitude. We want we we tried to be invisible and to do this kind of fencing attitude, fencing magazine, but we wanted to replace Vogue mm-hmm. or Art Forum. <laughs> you know, like, totally, yeah. We were very ambitious, but uh, like extremely ambitious and a bit arrogant at the time. So that was the attitude, a mix of like sort of underground obsession with the label Purple Prose, an ambition of changing the game because at the beginning of the 90s were a big switch into the, the of aesthetic. And we want to be the magazine and to do the shows because we were curating shows at the same time. We wanted to express, promote this new generation of artists and this new approach of art, which was very antagonistic with the 80s. And that was the last moment in the art world where a little clique of people were fighting the generation behind. You know, we were like fighters. We, we, we thought that the, the 80s art world and 80s fashion was disgusting. We wanted to get back to the 70s with younger artists. So it was a sort of, uh, we wanted to go back to the purity and radicality of the 60s and 70s, considering that Art in the in the eighties and fashion in the eighties was horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I personally love the eighties, but I understand, especially in the two thousands, of like bringing back the seventies style specifically, and having all those retrospective kind of like inspiration that was coming in in fashion. It was very interesting and in art, I believe. So this this format of a small fanzine magazine with very little advertising, very obscure, no explanation, not telling anything about who's writing, who's the artist, just having like plain interview, no explanation, no validation, nothing, just being like a bit brutal. Yeah. Was was an aesthetic, but it was also a, a fight against the against the 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 80s aesthetic. There, there was a conflict of generation which doesn't really happen anymore because now the younger generation they absorb everything you know they they know everything they have access to so many information so there's your generation is not fighting against a specific generation you have access right. to everything you choose what you want you do your own um, trajectory without necessarily fighting as a group against another group. This is why when I, I, I compiled all my articles from the 90s and beginning of the 2000s, I did a book of articles I, I wrote on art and on fashion, and I, I call it um, the last avant-garde, because we consider in the 90s that we were on avant-garde, that we yeah. were movement. And today, I'm not complaining, but today I don't see a specific movement you know, so um, a movement is based on a very specific idea of art. What is art? What is fashion? And what we stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the 90s, we had a very clear idea of what art should be against the successful and commercial art at the time. For sure. I remember all the, you know, selling out and specific like uh 
people like saying these things towards like their favorite creative when they did a commercial job. Like it was like, how dare you do a Coca-Cola commercial? How could you? And now it's become like normal. It's like, of course, you have one of the biggest names in photography or directing going into commercial. It's not this, there isn't that fight anymore as much as I see it. But it's not only a, a fight against the commercial aspect of, of mm -hmm. art. It's a fight against an idea of art and fashion that you refuse, uh, that you want to destroy. It was around a certain idea of art. It was um, the unity, the, the, the community of artists and photographers and musicians that picked share a certain idea, not necessarily theoretical. That was the common point, the different theme of the magazine because the different theme of the magazine were just a pretext to do a new issue but our community share this approach of art and fashion in general now it's still the case but it's much more diluted into a fluid aesthetic that connect everything today the, it's more important to connect than to fight mm -hmm more important to make connection and create circulation between people and between aesthetic than trying to define a new aesthetic uh, and fight for a new aesthetic. Even though there's always a possibility of an edge for a new aesthetic, which goes toward technology. But today, the real art form is technological. The real technology took the position of the art world. Uh, this is where everything is. This is the place which is changing the world. We believe that we could change something with art in a, in a way that we could change politics, we could change sexuality, we could change the way of life of people just by following an artistic idea of life. Now, what's changing life deeply, and this is where we start our conversation, it's technology. And the technology today of communication is actually changing life in the sense that we don't need to have a life. <laughs> we can communicate through uh, a screen that's all about isolation. And it's all about narcissism combined. So we are all together immediately, but we also We've never been so alone. Everything is so instant. Everyone wants everything right then and there. There's no waiting and it becomes very hard, especially when we have to isolate during this crazy pandemic. It becomes even more of a reality check. You start to really reflect of what you do and you see how it's not really good. It's, it's very interesting, yeah. Doing a magazine makes still sense in this context because you can't fight, and it would be absurd to fight the technological evolution of the world uh, where we will start to live with cyborg. And I, I, I saw yesterday a documentary on people, men actually, who live with love doll. On uh, Instagram, it was a small documentary on people in France who buy love dolls because there's love dolls company and it's extremely successful. People dress up their doll. I mean, men. It's uh, totally stupid. It's men obsession for, you know, 
objectifying the woman at this point that it's totally absurd, but it reveals something about today. We are so alone that people are ready to embrace a, a life, love life with a doll. And, and this is an avant-garde. This is where technology, it's a caricature of the evolution of our society, but a caricature has always something true and we go there. We go with more solitude and more loneliness and more disconnected. At the same time, there'll be so many instant communication. So a magazine in this context, doing a magazine in this kind of new way of communication, we create an alternative form of communication. Again, it's very underground. <laughs> Again, it's, sure, very, yeah. it's a small voice, but this voice is made of people uh, through uh, conviction. So I want, I want everyone to write or shoot or speak in purple to say something totally personal, unique, and um, challenging the way we exchange uh, information and the way we communicate today, which is a more and more superficial way, to be honest. Yeah. A magazine is, is uh, a little island for um, this alternative way of communicating through creativity because you don't communicate for the sake of communicating and creativity is a medium for something that you can't express in real life magazine like a gallery actually like a museum always compare the two for me a magazine it's like a gallery because i was a curator i do a magazine like i do a show it's expressing and manifesting a different kind of communication, which is an artistic way of saying something about now. It's an experience. This is why I consider that I do a magazine like I do a group show. And a group show uh, could be a film. And a film could be a social program for everyday life on an island. It's like everything is a program of life. We are programming life. We are... Right. We programming life. We are constantly questioned what could we change? What could be different? Can love be different? Can sexuality be different? Can politics be different? Basically, it's always about changing. How can we change? If there's a possibility of change. And the big question now is that technology and this incredible technological evolution is doing the changing for us. Algorithms are programming the change programming our life we're getting every move everything we do is connected to our phone which through algorithm give us choices to do this or not it's so scary right when you think about it it's like now you can predict what movie you want to watch or i mean not you but like the computer or the programs it's what books is good for you which restaurant is good for you when yeah you music Everything. It's even gotten to the point where it's even people. Like on Instagram, if you look at that, it shows you someone else who is similar to you. That is just too much because what happens when we're trying, you know, as kids, you're kind of discovering like what you want to be, what you like, what you don't like. And now it's become like, this is what you like. This is what you like. This is what you like. I don't even know. Like, how do you censor that from happening? 
there's almost like no way, right? This choice at the end of the day, this choice are offered to you through your phone and through yeah. because they expect you to buy. They monetize and pulse uh, every moment of your life. So we are becoming a shopping machine. It's very convenient in a way because you don't have to choose when you drive your car, you don't have to open a map, but then you're controlled because you wouldn't necessarily take this way, not necessarily stop at this bar, at this wine bar, which is, by the way, on the way that the machine told you to go. <laughs> so, this is all true. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Last time you liked this wine, so buy this similar wine. Yes, it's convenient, but it's also losing your freedom. In this new system, when you when you do a magazine, you create a form of free speech, freedom based on the risk that people take on writing, shooting, speaking, because an interview is also a risk. Doing a magazine is being free, basically. It's like being free of this technology. So, of course, Purple, my magazine, has a, is not against this technology. We are not like fighting Instagram or fighting social media or fighting this algorithm it would be stupid. What I'm saying is that we give a chance for freedom. We will go to Mexico. If Mexico, what's, what's the freedom in Mexico? A city that survived drugs, violence, uh, earthquake, mm-hmm. recently the pandemia. It's a, a city that survived colonialism. It's a, it's, it's a crazy, resilient city. Uh, with a massive poverty and there's also some people extremely rich so it's an interesting city for tomorrow we go there we do a magazine there it's like how mexico the city the country the spanish culture can open a door what kind of door what kind of images what kind of sensation what kind of food what kind of music what kind of architecture fuck let's discover this it's all there. We just have to go there, shoot and speak, meet people and combine that into 500 pages. And I love that you're exploring and, and just meeting the culture and meeting the people there and having them be a voice, you know? And I agree. It's like the only place right now that's really open and dealing with it. Look at the Anthropological Museum in Mexico City. Yeah. I, I want to do a museum tour with the director of this museum they are something like 10% visible of what they have. It's incredible. It's an incredible museum. They have no money. Amazing museum. Visit the museum with this guy. Let's speak about their money problem. Let's speak about their treasure. Let's speak about the architecture of this museum. So that when you read this article on, on the museum, you, have no, you will have no excuse if you go to Mexico without stopping there. And I guess to conclude our conversation, what are some tips you can give people that are listening out there to go for their dreams, to really like pursue what they want to do in life? You have to create basically a brand for yourself. Okay. You have to brand yourself in this world so that people understand immediately who you are. But once you create the brand, you escape it. You don't believe in it. You just use it as a passport to move away from yourself, something like that. You create an identity for yourself and then you run away. 
what you do is always in movement. So you have to create an identity because without an identity, you won't be recognized or you won't be able to to achieve everything. It has to be the closest to who you are and what you like. There's no risk to be the closest to what you like and who you are. But then don't believe in that, you know, because believe in life, believe in something bigger than you. Every little particle, every little star, the cosmos, the sea, the cities, everything is bigger than you. So don't believe in your own success as soon as you start to create an image of yourself. Because this is success. It's being able to create an image for yourself and that people recognize this image. Yeah, that's so true. It's, it is. It's like you create this, you know, what you want to do and what you want to achieve. You somehow make it through and do that. And then you have to like, something has to happen to really feel that you can do even more and yes. how to make a really big difference in life. And it's just everything around us. It's life. And it's incredible how your success or what you achieve can become obsolete very quickly. We need a permanent renaissance, and we're in a renaissance time. Right now, there's an opportunity for a total renaissance. So what we were yesterday is obsolete. Do you say that? We, yeah, I understand what you mean. <laughs> we can forget it. We have to restart. We are already, by doing this, this podcast, you decide that, you want to restart? Yes, totally. I think for me, I just wanted to feel inspired. I wanted to hear the struggles that people go through to making what they do and how they do it. I just wanted to hear things that are not so sugar-coated and not so staged. I like the rawness and the realness. And I hope somebody who's listening out there is like, okay, yeah, I, I think I want to go into this and just really get a good experience into it. You know, sometimes we don't have people we can talk to or people we look up to. We read for me, it was I read them in books or I watched them in, on TV or in a film. And I kind of learned from that character. If I wanted to be a photographer, I got books on different photographers and I read their autobiography. And I kind of like learned about their experiences, directors, same thing, costume. I loved everything in creating. So I hope this podcast helps <laughs> with everybody else. Even if you don't like the painting of Salvador Dali, let's take Salvador Dali as an example of an horrible painter. You read his total uh, uh, narcissist. You read his biography or you read his book, you'll get something out of it for sure. So let's be totally open and like this idea of renaissance is important. For, for example, me, the pandemia destroyed my life in LA. I used to have an office in LA. Now I have nothing. Can only come if I have a big job. In one year, my whole American dream uh, has been swiped away. Then what do you do? We move on. Next destination, uh, Mexico. The only thing that left in Los Angeles for me is love. Mm -hmm love someone and it's incredible <laughs> but you see this is the this is the only thing that lasts the rest can vanish and disappear in a minute well thank you so much olivier for being on talk my pleasure we'll meet soon talk is presented by brain freeze hosted by dana buos produced by vera iwanoff 
and Indigo Media. Edited by Sam Sobo. And music by Max Dondino Ferrer. See you next week for the next episode of Talk.